have is we live in a blessed culture, but we forget sometimes that things don't come easy every day. And I think we all get thrown off kilter when we realize that people are not perfect, when situations are less than ideal. But really, we should go into every single day expecting that there's going to be problems. As I like to say, I mean, I wrote a whole book about it, right? I like to say that life is messy. You know why I say that? Because it is. While we all can agree that this world isn't a perfect place, it's easy to overlook how that impacts our daily lives. That's why it can take you by surprise when stuff doesn't go as planned or hard things happen. Today, Pastor Daniel invites you to see how the prophet Daniel handled unexpected opposition in his life. People were jealous of him and tried to take him out. You'll see that Daniel didn't let this derail his holy habits or his walk with the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, as he begins a new message called Holy Habits. So one of the things that's the most scary about life, I think, is that so much of life is actually lived on autopilot. Let me give an example. How many of you ever remember driving home from work? Like three of you, most of you, right? You get in the car, right? And you just know the route, right? I mean, not that you don't remember, but it's like you're, you do it so often that it just happens. And as it happens, you're just kind of like rolling with it and you don't even think too much about it. You know, that's why they say that most of the accidents that people have are within one mile of their home. Because in some ways, you're so used to doing this that it just kind of happens. I mean, if you think about like when you wake up in the morning, I mean, I know you don't want to think about it. It's a little terrifying when you wake up in the morning. But most of us go through a a very similar rhythm every morning. You don't really think about it. Life is kind of lived on autopilot. And one of the keys, I believe, to living life in Christ in the world in which we live in, in any generation, because we're doing this series, right? It's called Friction. It's like that... How do we thrive in the tension between our culture and our faith? We have to learn how to put the things of God on autopilot. Not in a way that it's not conscious, but in the fact that a lot of the things that we're trying to do, we don't have to think about or reinvent on the fly. But we want to live a certain way, and we want to thrive. And in order to do that, we need to learn what I like to call holy habits, How many of you ever had an unholy habit? Everyone raise your hands. Whether you like it or not, we've all had something, right? Whether it's the ice cream sundae before bed and before breakfast, or whether it's having to top off a meal with a a Twinkie buffet, or whatever the thing is. I know nothing about that, personally. But we have these habits, and and the problem with habits is, is you get into the rhythm of it, and we've said it before, that you have this cue which leads to a response, which leads to a reward. So like maybe the cue is, okay, so I just finished dinner and it's almost time for bed. And so the response is, I'm going to go make ice cream sundae. And the reward is, well, you're eating ice cream. And so it's a beautiful thing, you know? But obviously the problem with that is if you do that every single day for your entire life, you may not be the healthiest person. And so then 
you realize, and I'm not, listen, some of you are like, well, I eat ice cream every night and I'm perfectly healthy, you know. So I know there's exceptions to the rule. For the rest of us, we become large and in charge and our doctor puts us on medicine. Okay, so for the exceptions to the rules, God bless you. We're all jealous. Thanks for making us sin. No, I'm just kidding. I just met a guy recently, as a quick aside, who was a pastor, and he said, you know, I've been cursed with incredibly fast metabolism. He's such a curse, you know. You have to eat more than everyone else, and you're so skinny. Great, thanks. But all of us need to learn how to cultivate holy habits if we're going to thrive. And I think what goes on is for many of us, we never think about this idea of cultivating habits of holiness, ways that we live that are non-negotiable. Ways that we live that they happen because it's in the rhythm of our lives. And today, we're going to be closing out this kind of first section in the book of Daniel. See, the book of Daniel breaks up really simply into stories and then prophecies. And there, you know, of course, we saw some prophecy in chapter two, but really the first six chapters of the book of Daniel is all these stories about Daniel and his friends and what was going on. And then you move into chapter seven and seven to the end of the book is primarily all prophecy, all future events being told in advance. And so I want you to open up in your Bibles to Daniel chapter six, Daniel chapter six, as we see Another example of the prophet Daniel being a bright, shining witness in this world. So if you're new to the Bible, I do want you to pull out a Bible if you have a smart device. I want you to read along. I'm going to take the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 6. So I'd love for you to be able to read along and track with me. It's pretty easy to find because some of the largest books in our Bibles are in that middle section of the Old Testament. You have Psalms, which is the largest book, and then Proverbs, which has 31 chapters. And then you end up moving on into the major prophets, Isaiah, which is a large book, and then Jeremiah, which is a large book, and then Ezekiel, which is a large book, and then you get to Daniel. So find any of those books, if you're flipping around a little bit, finding Daniel is easy to find. And as I always like to do, I don't want to leave anyone hanging. Chapter 6 is between chapters 5 and 7. Hey, we need to be thorough. You can't, you know, you can't leave anything out, right? So let's jump on in. Daniel chapter 6, picking up in verse 1, says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. And then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, in verse 6, it says this. It says, So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. 
Now, if you recall from Daniel chapter 5, the setting is still Babylon, but we've moved from the Babylonian empire that was run by Nebuchadnezzar and ultimately this man named Belshazzar, and then now it's moved to the Medo-Persian empire, and the first ruler there in Babylon is this man named Darius. And what you find is that because he's the new emperor, he's setting things in order. He's got a large kingdom, so he puts some organizational structure around it. There's 120 satraps or, or administrators, people who ruled parts of his kingdom. And then he put three governors over these 120. So each governor was kind of responsible for 40 of these administrators, of which we find that Daniel the prophet is one of them. You've got to realize at this point in life, Daniel is 80 years old, 80 plus years old, but God is using him still. He is thriving in not just one, but now two pagan empires. And what's interesting is the reason the the king did this was because he wanted to make sure that he would not suffer loss in his kingdom. See, what this is speaking about is that all of us really need accountability. All of us need there to be people who can look at our lives and be able to say, hey, listen, we have to be careful here. And in a lot of ways, that's why God created the people of God, that as you all are a family Not everybody, I mean, as a large church, not everyone can know everybody, but you find a tribe here at Crossroads. And there are people who can look in your life and speak in your life and help you to make sure that everything's on the up and up. And so the king is kind of erecting all this around it. And what we find is that by the time verse 3 happens, this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So out of all the satraps, out of all the governors, this man, Daniel, because the spirit of God, this excellent spirit was in him, he far surpassed everyone. That literally drives us like, maybe this guy needs to be the only guy, the guy who who is my chief administrator. Now think about that testimony. What a testimony of a man who, in a foreign government with a different set of laws, this man is... Not only a godly man, but he's being used mightily. Where a pagan king is like, man, I think this guy might need to run the whole thing. But you guys know what? If you have a bright, shining testimony like a man like Daniel, you need to expect opposition. And if we're talking about holy habits, the biggest problem to holy habits is that there is opposition to those habits. In a broken world, godliness is not necessarily embraced. Do you go into every day expecting opposition? You should, because our Bibles speak about it from cover to cover. See, the problem that we have is we live in a blessed culture, but we forget sometimes that things don't come easy every day. And I think we all get thrown off kilter when we realize that people are not perfect, when situations are less than ideal. But really, we should go into every single day expecting that there's going to be problems. As I like to say, I mean, I wrote a whole book about it, right? I like to say that life is messy. You know why I say that? Because it is. No matter how much I love Jesus, life's still messy. You wake up, you sleep wrong on your arm, and your arm feels weird. Or, you know, it's like you go downstairs, and for some reason, there's like a a thousand Legos on the stairs, and you step on that thing, and it breaks your foot. You know, and then you go to make coffee, and sure enough, you put the coffee in, and the coffee pot breaks. And like, you can love Jesus, and all this is the norm, right? Not every day, praise God, not all those things, but like, this stuff happens. And so, 
We live in a broken world, but then we often forget that we should expect opposition. And that's exactly what goes on for Daniel. Daniel's a godly man here, right? The entire testimony of his life, this is his testimony. But notice, because he is blessed of the Lord, because God is using him, look at what goes on in verse 4. Jealousy shows up. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. How I pray that we say, Lord, I want this to be my testimony. That we say, God, when people look at my life, I want them to see an excellent spirit. I want them to see me being faithful. That there's no error, that there's no fault found in me. And the only, if someone wants to get me in trouble, it has to be involving the way that I follow Jesus. Is that your testimony? Now listen, when I say that, I'm not saying in a way that I'm saying that is my testimony. But every time we see the disparity between Something like this and where we live, we say, okay, God, you want to work in that middle ground to change me, to transform me. I love to say we're all in process because why? We are. God isn't finished with any of us yet. And so when you say, would someone be able to find fault? Would someone be able to find a lack of faithfulness in me, an error in me? Wherever those things are, those are the things that God wants to work on. And God is working on it. And I think even as you hear the word being taught and you hear this concept, if you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, the spirit of the living God dwells in you, comes up and says, yeah, you got this thing. That conviction of the Holy Spirit, which says, that's where I want to work. I want to do a work there. I want who you are in Christ to blossom more than who you are outside of Christ. So these guys have a plan now. We have to figure out how to get this Daniel in trouble because we're jealous of him. And so sure enough, notice what happens in verse 6. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king. So they made a big commotion. They were pumping. They were all over the king. And they, oh, King Darius, live forever. And notice, they lie to the king, all the governors in, of your kingdom. The administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors who consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions or prays to any god or man for 30 days except you shall be cast in the den of lions. O king, establish this decree and sign it in writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. See what goes on. They come to him and they lie to him. Not all the governors. See, they knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. Did all the governors, no, not all the governors, two of the governors, they didn't ask Daniel. All the satraps, all the administrators said, listen, we want to honor you, king. We want, for a whole month, 30 days, no one is allowed to pray to anybody but you. You can imagine Darius, the new king, being like, right on. Yeah, these loyal subjects, they understand but it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with them wanting to get rid of Daniel because they were jealous. My friends, listen. As a side application, jealousy is real. And jealousy, as it plays out in a broken world, is meant to undermine someone who God can be using. And the things that people do in the name of jealousy, it's almost illogical. And will you just be careful? You gotta ask yourself, 
who, because listen, we all live in this world, right? And instead of rejoicing with people who rejoice and weeping with people who weep, when we see someone who God is using, oftentimes we want to find a reason to undermine them. Out of jealousy, out of envy. And so we have to be super careful, don't we? Because I'm quite sure in a congregation the size of Crossroads, there are many of us right now who are actively acting like these fallen governors and satraps. Just because someone is being blessed, mightily used of God, be careful what envy does. See, envy is really saying, God, you haven't treated me right by using that person. God, you are not being good to me because you are being good to that person. See, it's saying, God, you're not enough. Your purposes and plans for me to grow me, they are not enough. So the problem is with the other person or how God's using it. The problem is with our heart of not being able to say, Lord, I love that you're using that person. God, Lord, I love that you're blessing that person. And just because you're blessing doesn't mean that you don't love me. It means that you're doing a work in them and they have to learn how to be faithful what you're doing in their life. And Lord, you're doing something different in my life. And Lord, I need you to teach me how to be faithful what you're doing in my life. So envy can be lethal. I mean, we're going to see. They're hoping to get rid of it. I mean, if this decree is broken, where does the person end up? In a lion's den. Now listen, that's not like you go to the zoo and the you know, lions are down there and you're up here and you're like, hey, lions, lion king, you know? Simba, it's not that. It's like you're in there hanging out with them. So this is about death. Now, of course, Jesus told us in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I don't hate to be the bearer of the bad news. And I would love to say, listen, if you follow hard after Jesus and if you are faithful and if God's spirit dwells in you and you prosper and you're a godly person, everything's going to be smooth sailing. It's just not true. In Jesus, you have peace. But in the world, you're going to have tribulation. And I love the radical realism of the Bible. When people say, oh, I can't believe in the Bible. It's all fairy tale. They say, no, no, it's real. This is radical realism here. That you can love the Lord and be rock solid and you have all these people conspiring against you. Just like Daniel. So my friends, we should expect opposition. Don't be surprised when it comes. Because we know that the opposition is just the beginning of the story in, in what God's doing. The opposition is not the end of the story, it's the beginning of the story. Because look at what goes on from here, picking up in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered, verse 13, and they said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king. Or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. And set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. 
Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. My friends, if we expect opposition, then like the prophet Daniel, we need to make holy habits. See, Daniel, long before this decree was signed, had a holy habit of praying three times a day with his windows open towards Jerusalem where the temple once stood. He got on his knees and prayed. This was not something that was new for him. This was the way his life worked. See, what Daniel had is something that I believe that we want. Remember, we've been talking about this, that we should not live emotionally, given to the the whims of the moment, the fears and the emotions of the moment, but we should live structurally. See, Daniel's cue was every day was a day for me to walk with God. So his response was, I am going to pray three times a day. And his reward was a relationship with God. And he knew, as it says in the Psalms, that God's loving kindness is even better than life. So when this decree comes down, Daniel isn't going to change a thing about his life, even though his life's on the line. Daniel just did what he always did. Why? Because even more than being alive was having a relationship with God. You know, everybody says, you know, you hear these stories of martyrdom. And, you know, I pray that none of us ever have to be in that situation where your faith could cost you your life. And we read these stories and they're heroic, but you try and empathetically put yourself in the situation and like the decisions that get made. And if you read the books and the stories of Christian martyrs throughout the centuries, I mean, it's horrible things that people do to people. And we all like to say, listen, yeah, in that moment, I know what decision I'll make, but you got to ask yourself, if you're not praying, if your life isn't on the line, why would you pray with your life on the line? Let's be real about all this stuff. What's your prayer life look like? And it's not a judgment. It's like, we're just real about this here. See, prayer is the one conversation that all hell breaks loose to stop. Why? Because when you get into the presence of the holy God and you have a dialogue with God, you ask God to help you and you say, God, what am I missing? And God says, this is what you're missing here and this is what you need to work on here. And hey, listen, that situation you got, it's really not their fault. It's your fault because this is what you're doing and you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. And hey, don't forget, I love you so much that I died for you. And if I was gracious to you and you were a rebel, then why aren't you being gracious to them? Because they're being a rebel. What's the difference? You pass my grace. All these things go on in prayer. But you know what happens? Satan knows that if you get into the presence of God, then you are going to change. Jesus is real. We live in a culture that's swamped by emotion. You don't have to look far to see people emotionally reacting to someone or something. But as you learn today, this type of response doesn't usually help you make wise decisions. Pastor Daniel explained that being steady during times of opposition or upheaval is all about the habits that you've developed. Because hard times come, you need to ground yourself by cultivating time with the Lord, 
reading his word and talking with him in prayer. These holy habits will settle you and help you live wisely when your world is crumbling. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will continue to look at the prophet Daniel's example of how to weather hard times. A big part of this is your holy habits. Pastor Daniel will share more about what these are and how to foster them in your daily life. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Friction. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.